Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. This is the podcast where we try to bend the motherfucking arc of history towards a more livable planet for you, for me, and everyone else, Brian. Everyone else. And so Mm -hmm. we're going to dive into a specific question that's affecting everyone on the planet right now. Uh, That's right. And that could be one of a million things, but there's one specifically that's bringing us all together. Uh, You know, again, what we tackle are things, if, 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 if it can kill us, Brian, or if it can make the future a hell of a cooler for for everyone, mm. uh, we're in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our guests uh, are scientists and doctors and engineers, politicians mm-hmm. and astronauts. We had a reverend once. Yep. Uh, and we work together toward action steps that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. True. Uh, this is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, and feedback to us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. We would ask you kindly not to send things in the mail right now because I've run out of wipes. Um, you can also <sighs> join tens of... Th- I know. You can also join tens of thousands of other smart folks and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. Um, this tell, week's t- tell episode... Yep, get into it. <laughs> uh, was a little unexpected. You know, we're on a hiatus. Yep. Um, but mm-hmm. we, we got this opportunity and this chance and we had to take it. So uh, uh, we are talking to somebody who with firsthand detail on what it's like to not only be a COVID survivor, but also more specifically mm-hmm. what it's like to be a testing lab rat. Who are we talking to? Uh, we are talking to Ali Bross, doctor. Nope, not a doctor. No. Nope. Um, what, do what do you get from a, a business school degree? Almost MBA. Uh, uh, yeah, almost Ali Bross. Uh, yep. Who is uh, awesome, and she is funny, and mm-hmm. she is recovered. Mm-hmm. She is smart as hell, and mm-hmm. she is my cousin. Delightful. Quinn's cousin. Um, yep, yep. And that doesn't narrow it down. Got a lot of them, but she is uh among the best. Not too many. Not enough. Oh, not enough. Uh, Sorry. She, she is. A, yep, she is among the best of them, and uh, we're lucky to to have her on. Uh, and um, yeah, this is a really interesting one. Um, her yes. circumstances, how she got it. Uh, her testing, uh, lack of, uh, eventually how she dealt with it, and then most importantly, uh, now for the wider world, uh, how she is involved in um, in in fighting back against this fucking thing in ways so timely, that um, so relevant. those of us that have not had it uh, cannot actually participate. So mm-hmm. uh, please enjoy this conversation with uh, Ali Bross. Just a quick reminder: Brian will let me write this in the intro, so I almost forgot to do it. You can uh, the ways you can fight back are we have a bunch of very efficient, very impactful, very reputable, uh, only the most reputable places you can fight back at important, not important.com slash blog slash fight. Wonderful organizations helping medical workers with food, with accommodations, helping patients, helping teachers, um, helping uh, those so many people who are out of work who need food and even just straight up cash. Uh, again, that's important, not important.com uh, slash blog slash fight. Uh, please enjoy our conversation with the one and only Ali Bros. Bros. Our guest today is Ali Bros, and together we're going to find out what it's like to be a COVID lab rat. Uh, Ali, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We should put together a compilation of people <laughs> saying that and just feeling like they want to put a, 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 like a nail into their forehead while they say it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so early. We, we, we'll see if you're excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. We are very excited to have you, though, Allie. Um, uh, so thank you. And, and uh, let's just uh, get started by just tell everybody, uh, you know, who, who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, so I am currently a graduate student in North Carolina. I um, am from D.C. originally, and my family is all pretty much still there. Um, lived in Denver for a while before coming back to get my MBA in North Carolina and um, will be moving out to Seattle hopefully this summer um, if all goes as planned. But obviously, well. there's a lot of uncertainty, um, sure. both there and here and pretty much everywhere. So who knows? I could be kind of a nomad for a while. Yeah, I feel like that's the way for everybody. Right. It's... Uh... If I did, if I don't, we haven't recorded our intro yet, so it's kind of like traveling time travel. Uh, so if I forget to say it in the intro, which is entirely possible, full disclaimer: Ellie is my cousin. Yes, uh, the greatest. And usually, when we say who you are and what you do, someone's like, "I do this, and I work on this specific thing that's pertinent to our question today." Besides, I mean, I would love to have I would love to have conversations with Ellie uh, about anything. But um, a few days ago, I you sent me a text saying, hey, my friend, something, something, watched your wife's show. Great. That's super fun. And I said, how are you? Where in the world are you? And you said, I'm as good as I can be. Actually gained some local notoriety as one of the first Durham cases of coronavirus, which is as close to fame as I imagine I'll ever get. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Let's, let's do this thing. Um, so... Uh, that is the that is the context for today, which is uh, kind of fucking crazy. I mean, pretty wild. Now, I mean, we'll get the details on like when you got it and and all that stuff. But now, when it's trending towards like everybody's gonna get it, uh, it it must have seemed kind of crazy. All right, Brian, g- Brian, give her the end of the intro here, and we'll 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 keep moving. That sounds so great, uh, uh, Allie, and everyone listening. Our our goal here is to provide. Uh, a little context for what we're talking about today, our our, uh, our topic of the day, and then and then we'll get into some uh, action oriented questions uh, that get to the heart of why we should all all care about it and care about you, Allie, and and what we can all do to uh, uh, help support. Does that sound good? Perfect. Rock and roll, um, Allie. This is just endlessly delightful for me right now. Mm-hmm. He loves uh, it. We, we like to start with one important question to set the tone of the thing. Allie, instead of saying, tell us your life story, uh, of which I'm fairly sure I'm in just a bunch of pictures of, uh, we'd like to ask, Allie, why are you vital to the survival of the species? <laughs> For any reason? <laughs> I, I encourage you to be honest and to be bold. You are here for, I mean, quite literally a very specific reason today, but mm-hmm. I'm curious. Hit me. Okay. I actually think about this quite often, what my purpose in life generally is, but especially what my purpose in like my friends and family members' lives um, is. And I think that, uh, I think that karaoke could become a lost art if I weren't here to continuously force people to go to karaoke bars, especially not mm-hmm. like the little room, like Japanese style karaoke. Mm-hmm. I like the gross dive bars, karaoke mm-hmm. being on stage, forcing people who form into uh-huh. someone with so much confidence. And I love watching that transformation. And I feel like I mm-hmm. have changed a lot of lives because of it and will continue to. 
That's amazing. Do you feel like you are... <laughs> do you feel sometimes like you struggle because the line between friend and life coach is becoming more and more blurred every day or... Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, and I think that this hasn't, this hasn't helped, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. getting coronavirus so early because now um, I've sent a lot of similar text messages to my friends, to my good friends about having it. And now because I'm on the early end of getting it, um, I'm routinely on calls coaching my friends through like the list of symptoms, how to handle it, even though I have no medical expertise sure. whatsoever. None. None. I think right. I'm becoming like karaoke. I felt pretty confident coaching people through the experience, sure. but now I'm just kind of blindly leading everyone through their own <laughs> coronavirus experience. And so I think that's like way more concerning for the world, but sure. Um, I don't know if this uh, MBA thing doesn't work out. I think I'd be a, a great life coach. Well, I mean, look, karaoke has always felt like one way to really just put yourself out there, you know, to feel naked, to, to, to do the, what is the Ted talk thing where you put your hands on your hips and stand like wonder woman. I mean, like you gotta just, you gotta get yourself, you gotta make yourself seen and make yourself heard. And I feel like that's a way to go. Is there a specific song or genre that you, yeah, of course the either, go-to karaoke song, we have to know it. Sure. But also like, not just for you, but for your clients, uh, sorry, your friends, is there a direction that you push them, like a standard one, a a sort of beginner's one, or do you more dial into what they need? Yeah, I mean, I think that for my friends, um, easy ones are like songs that we all grew up with. So like, mm-hmm. say my name, there's not like, the singing isn't that hard, you know, the words, it's a crowd pleaser. Like I try mm-hmm. to ease people in with stuff like that. I obviously have been doing this for a while and mm-hmm. am much more well-versed. And so I feel like I take a more risk-seeking approach when picking my songs. So I will do like, it's all coming back to me now. And I like obviously mm. can't sing like Celine Dion and it's also seven minutes. And <laughs> so Jesus. it's like, it's a miserable experience for everyone in the bar except for me. But I think yeah, I think I like usually judge how comfortable someone is. I pick the song uh, in accordance with their readiness, their singing abilities. You know, I actually think now that I'm talking through this, I just said I think I should get paid for all the the good work I do for for karaoke bars around the country. I feel like now more than ever, you're needed. This is wonderful. I agree. I agree. You know, um, well, I have I have to really quickly. I have a friend here in, in Los Angeles who has started a, uh, a a karaoke bus. I think it's called the Gold Karaoke Bus. She she bought a she bought a bus and re like re you know remodeled it and painted it gold and it and you do all the karaoke in the bus as you drive around town. It's it's amazingly fun. Oh my gosh! Yeah, if you're ever in LA, we'll, we'll hook it up. Uh, yeah. That's Too a dream fun. come true. I love buses. <laughs> I love buses and I love karaoke. That's- yeah, buses are the best. Yeah, yeah. It's right up your right alley. Up your alley. Oh, your name's Allie. That's crazy. Uh, perfect. Wow, Brian. You're just killing it today. <laughs> um, Allie, thank you for being so honest uh, no about what you're bringing to the people. That's, that's really yes. important. 
Um, all right, so we're going to keep that in mind as we progress here. So just some quick context for today's conversation. Again, uh, talking about uh, how and where Allie uh, got what she got and what she went through and where she is on the other side and, and why it's unique to be where she is. Uh, in all seriousness, we don't need to go into all the details on on COVID here, uh, folks. It, it, we're not going to do that. There's 10,000 other podcasts that are doing that every day. This is not about new numbers. If you're looking for new info or an explainer, uh, I would direct you to Helen Barneswell at Stat News or and or Ed Young at The Atlantic. Uh, and and specifically, look at the people they follow on Twitter, for example. Just, just listen to those. Um, so... <clears throat> We're all out here. It is, what the hell is today? April 9th. April um, 9th. We're all uh, refreshing Twitter and our other reputable news sources and, and others that aren't. Uh, hoping of news on, on, on things like antibody tests and, and further how effective they are, which at this date uh, is totally questionable. And uh, treatments and where they might come from. Again, we're... we're just scrambling for whatever we can. And the, the president is just, just making things up. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, the golden goose of vaccine and when that might be, you know, despite the fact that we've never made a vaccine for coronavirus, much less in, in, in a year or 18 months. Um, so we're all cheering for scientists the world over who are working overtime on all these things. Well, well, all we can do is stay home. But it's important to know that, uh, you know, once you get past the, the now the machine learning we have working on our side and all these people working together, that eventually, you know, candidates for these things require tests on, on, on live cells. And then maybe if it graduates a little further on animals and then uh, if we're getting crazy on, on humans, um, there's talk of things called challenge tests, all, all, all these things. And in most of the cases, the tests are on humans who've had the virus and recovered, or uh, in, in extreme cases, like a challenge case for a vaccine, in uh, or you know that would be on people who've never never had it before, right? Or um, because of like what we're seeing in, in New York and other places, um, you know, we'll test some of these treatments, potential treatments, on those folks who are most sick and and at that point really willing to try anything. Um, and we, we do that a lot also with with certain cancer things and stuff like that. Um, but that's kind of what I want to get into now as everyone's just looking and hoping that they open up the New York times app and, or your Apple news app. And it says vaccine found, like how the fuck do we get there? And what's that like from the inside? So luckily we've got our own survivor, uh, and, and test subject and karaoke professional right here. So, um, Allie, a little backstory, if you could, um, if, if you could give us just a sort of a brief, uh, description on how, COVID went for you? Because everybody knows the stats. 80% of cases are mild. It's like 17% go critical. Um, and and a larger percentage than we've thought is either asymptomatic or, or incredibly mild. Uh, it doesn't really affect kids that much. In a very small percentage, it does. Um, you are young. You are you are healthy. You are, in a, you are in a, obviously an incredible place to get it. If you're going to get it, you got it early. Uh, where do you think you got it? Was any contact tracing done? How long for you showed symptoms? Yada, how bad was it? Uh, give us the give us the spiel. Yeah. So um, first of all, I can so relate to the first thing I do every morning when I wake up is check the New York Times in hopes that I will read that headline. And that is such a real 
feeling. Um, and then end up reading for like 45 minutes and, um, and just get more and more depressed. But, um, so I went to like back in the end of February, actually, I ended up getting the flu despite having the flu shot. And I had a trip planned with a group of friends to Israel, um, for very early March. And I got cleared to travel. Well, when I went to the, um, to get tested for the flu, obviously we knew about coronavirus, but I had asked if I should get tested. And they said, and again, this was end of February. They said, if you haven't been to China, we're not going to test you, um, in the Mm -hmm. past month. And so then when I got clearance to travel, I asked my doctor, um, and my parents, obviously, uh, what they think I should do. And they weren't, there weren't any travel advisories at the time. Um, to be honest, they were just, they were way more concerned with me having recovered enough from the flu and that being, um, the barrier to travel rather than any concern about coronavirus. What was the Uh, date about then? Um, my trip ended up being, I think like the second or third of March is when I flew. Okay. Um, and there were no travel advisories. I wasn't questioned at the airport. Very few people were flying with masks. Um, and I was flying directly from DC into Tel Aviv. I mean, it's just crazy thinking that that was like a month ago. It was so different and there weren't, um, uh, so anyways, I, I got to Tel Aviv and Israel was kind of starting to crack down a little bit, especially, uh, on flights from Italy and China and Japan, but, and then, uh, Purim, which is the big costume festival was supposed to happen in, uh, when we were there in Tel Aviv and that was shut down, but that was the one thing we really saw in terms of an impact from coronavirus when we got there. And, um, So I was there for about 10 days and towards the end of the trip, again, we have no idea how we were exposed, but someone who I was traveling with started not feeling well. And, you know, the timing of it is just so crazy because it's flu season. There are allergies, people have colds. Like when we got there, everyone around us was coughing. People were coughing on airplanes and some people were freaking out about it, but it still wasn't concerning. And so when a friend of mine started not feeling well. We didn't really think anything of it, but what felt like, I think that that was on the 10th, maybe of March. And within 24 hours, Israel went from canceling huge events to really, really cracking down. And when my friend developed a fever, um, they actually took him to the hospital to get tested for coronavirus. And they were taking everyone by ambulance with a fever. I mean, if they reported the fever to the hospital. And so, you know, we still have no idea how or when we were exposed. But um, uh, he, along with a few more of my friends, 24 hours later, got the test results that they had coronavirus and were actually going to be staying in Israel to be quarantined there. And the rest of us, uh, obviously, the Ministry of Health was organized, was contacted at this point. And as long as the rest of us didn't have fevers, since our flights were that either that night or the next day, they sent us to the airport, essentially. And so, 
I mean, it, it was, it was crazy because the U S still wasn't, I mean, again, this was like the 11th, 12th of March. Mm-hmm. Things weren't really crazy in the U S yet. And so it felt, and I had friends who were traveling all around the world. I had a lot of friends in South America, friends in France and in Spain who weren't worried. And I think, um, we just, uh, kind of were thrown into this and, all were panicking and reacting in different ways. And some people started developing symptoms during travel. I didn't have any symptoms when I was at the airport, but still got to the airport and was in a mask and gloves and, you know, convinced myself, even though I've like so many student loans that upgrading to business class was for the safety (laughs) of those around me. (laughs) And, um, so I did that. You're welcome. Um, I was, (laughs) Uh, sitting alone on the plane and I flew back into DC and we all were like, um, I live in Durham now. And that was the destination for most of us. We were planning to go back and quarantine in our apartments. I'm still not thinking that the rest of us had it, that it was just kind of the, the group that was diagnosed in Tel Aviv. And I think that speaks to just how much uncertainty and conflicting information there was about this. I mean, at the time, the only symptoms that they were really testing for, it was a fever and a cough. You like had to have, have both of those in order to get a test and confirmation of exposure. So even if you had those symptoms, but you hadn't been exposed to someone who was positive, it was really difficult to get tested. So um, I was flying into DC and I was texting my parents the whole time and they both are in DC and wanted me to come and quarantine with them. Um, my mom specifically was just begging me to, and mm-hmm. had gotten clearance from a bunch of people that if I didn't have symptoms, I, I probably didn't have it. And I was safe to go there. And I just was like an anxious mess the entire flight because I was just like, is it worth, I would be totally alone in Durham, um, in my apartment, but uh, would I prefer that to potentially infecting my my parents and my my younger sister? And so I um, got off the plane and I just knew I, I didn't want to risk it. So mm-hmm. I um, got my car and I went, my dad had my apartment keys. So I first went to his apartment and I like rolled down my window slightly, had a mask on and literally had him throw the keys in and just started sobbing. And then drove to my my mom's house and she had like a few things of mine. She put them out on the porch, went back inside. And then I went and grabbed it again with my mask on and just like um, drove away and parked and just started crying. And I think that's when um, it really hit me that this was going, that this was just going to change things for a while. I mean, not being able to hug my parents, knowing that I might be infected and you know, I might, there might be complications with, with what happens to me and I'd be alone in an apartment in North Carolina and that my parents could get sick. And by then we knew that like, um, you know, people, my parents age were getting sicker and were having more severe symptoms and were dying. And, and that was, that drive was like really dark. Um, and so I, I drove down to Durham and walked into my apartment and then didn't leave for two weeks. Wow. And then, yeah, so that was like, um, 
that was, t- and like at the time, still the worst, like I didn't th- I really didn't think I had it at that point. I didn't have any symptoms and they wouldn't test me, even though I had been hanging out with, I was surrounded by a bunch of people who had confirmed tests. When I got back down to Durham, I, I, I guess I first drove to, um, to get tested and they still just weren't testing unless you presented a very specific set of symptoms, um, which obviously evolved and changed pretty quickly. That hasn't gotten much better, that testing, <laughs> to be yes. clear. Uh, right. I mean, California is so far behind on that stuff. And again, it's almost a, an entire month later. It's it's crazy. Um, and now, of course, they're, you know, they're, they're turning people away and saying they won't test them because they'll say things like, uh, it's clear you have it. We don't need to test you. Go home. Totally. Um, right. Which is wild in itself. Um, because <laughs> again, we just, we need to paint the picture. So, Again, you don't need to go into, first of all, thank you for that long explanation. It's really helpful and I think helps, uh, per, you know, personalize this for for a lot of folks. We all, you know, work, wander around. If we do leave our house to go to the grocery store or pharmacy or whatever, yeah. or if we have to go to our office going like, I hope I don't get it. But it's it's another thing going, I, I really hope I'm not giving this to people. Um, especially now, I mean, we're so aware that so many people uh, stay asymptomatic, which is how this thing is is uh, is being spread so so quickly and so widely. Mm-hmm. Or you know, it can be up to it can be like twelve days before you actually show symptoms. Um, right. So uh, you know w- what we've discovered so far, and again, uh, we're not big on like new numbers. We're big on sort of percentages and defining how this thing works, uh, as opposed to you know where it's gone and what it's doing. It's but you know we 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 know now that again it can be like twelve days. And that you you are infectious. You're about half as infectious uh, pre-symptoms or asymptomatic. But then once you do show, but you are infectious, which is still spreading it. Um, right. And then once you do show right. symptoms, it seems like the first week of symptoms is when you're most infectious. Mm-hmm. Um, so 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 it's understandable. Like you 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 can do damage out there, especially when you're driving around going like. I was just traveling with like multiple people who are confirmed to have this. Right. Like, why wouldn't someone lock me down? Like, why sh- I shouldn't be out here doing this? Like, it it, it it's totally. it's crazy. So, so I guess how 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 was the thing? How how did it go for you? So, I I think three or four days into my quarantine, that's when I started developing symptoms, and my first one was a sore throat. And again, I mean, I would call, um like the local public health department (laughs) multiple times a day. And I'd be like, now this is my symptom. Can I get tested? Now this is my symptom. And so at first it was a sore throat and then that went away and I developed a cough, but it was a super infrequent cough. I never developed a fever, um, thankfully, because a lot of people who I traveled with and who I've talked to who've had it, the fevers are high and they last a really long time, like much Mm -hmm. longer than fevers normally do. And it's totally brutal. I think my worst symptom, um, after my cough started, I just developed the worst headaches I've ever and body aches that I've ever felt in my life. Um, and yeah, and it wasn't like, it just, it felt like my head was about to explode. Um, I, it didn't feel like a migraine. It just felt totally different. And it's really scary too. I think, uh, you know, with everything else that I've ever gotten sick from, there's so much research and data on what these symptoms mean and, and what's happening to your body. And, you know, for all we knew, I mean, for all I knew, of course, I'm like, um, 
I'm such a panic Googler. I was just convinced that something was happening inside my brain or inside my head mm-hmm. uh, that was causing these symptoms. And so those were really bad for me. And then I lost my sense of taste and smell. And um, something funny about that is I, like the majority of my friends who I was traveling with also lost their taste and smell. And at the time they weren't reporting that as a symptom. And so a bunch of my friends are nurses uh, from college or nurses. And I told them that was a symptom of mine. Mm -hmm. And they were like, I was the first one at my hospital to know that that was a symptom of coronavirus because I, um, I had had that. And so Hmm. those lasted um, all of those together lasted. Yeah. For about a week, I think, or eight days. From that first sore throat to the lo- to the sensory loss, about eight days. Oh yeah, um, the sore throat was a day long, and then the cough, headaches, uh, sensory loss, those were about like eight days. Um, mm-hmm. And but you know, I I just had this conversation with someone the other day. I think worse than all of those was, you know, the total and complete isolation, and it's not even just being in my apartment, but it was being in my apartment alone and, um, not being able to go outside. It just, um, it felt super claustrophobic. And I think you're experiencing these symptoms. There's so much anxiety reading the news and there's so much uncertainty. And then I think that you just kind of spiral because you're waiting for your symptoms to get more serious. And there were a couple of people I traveled with who had um, who developed pneumonia and ended up going to the hospital. And you just are sitting there every day waiting for the shortness of breath. And yeah. and then anxiety, I mean, a huge symptom. I've um, never had physical symptoms of anxiety before, and I've developed them during this. And like they are shortness of breath and, and chest tightness and all of those things, which are also symptoms of coronavirus becoming more serious. And so there are all of these... Um, uh, elements like of this that I, I just think, um, made a lot of those days pretty terrifying. Uh, but thankfully I, you know, when, once my symptoms started to improve, they stopped pretty quickly and got the clearance after about, I think 16 days took my first walk outside, which was, which was lovely. And, I think I, I cried afterwards. <laughs> I was sure. so happy to to be on the other side of it. Crazy. So you just wow. wrote, you just wrote it out in your apartment. Yeah, I um, huh. I know it was. Um, I mean, again, what is confusing? To, to, I mean, and still to this day, obviously, there are conflicting criteria about when you're okay to leave. Um, some of it is like seventy two hours after you have stopped showing symptoms. Um, but you know, obviously a lot of people are are asymptomatic. So that was confusing for several people. And then one of the main criteria is, um, that you've tested negative twice within 24 hours, but obviously with the test shortage, that's impossible to do. And so we were all as a group kind of agreed to stay as long as possible until, we had met every criteria besides the testing one. So um, at least 14 days since we first entered quarantine, 
um, at least seven days since our symptoms started, at least 72 hours after they'd ended, like whichever one of those three was longest is what we all, we all did. And of course we didn't really re-enter the world. I think that for most of us breaking quarantine just meant being able to go outside for yeah. a little bit of time each day. Wow. Wow. Did you, well, well how were you treating yourself? Yeah. I mean, um, Besides karaoke you, at home. Well, well yeah. Duh. Sorry, obviously. <laughs> no, I mean, th- that that certainly got me through. I So, I mean, again, like, gosh, this is so, it's just so crazy. Right when I got back, when my headaches developed, or when we started getting the emails and news alerts about ibuprofen being super dangerous, mm-hmm. um, that like a lot of people who developed critical symptoms had been taking ibuprofen to treat them. And so that started coming out and I opened my medicine cabinet and that's all I had. I had no (laughs) Tylenol and I was just like, okay. I mean, I, um, so my mom is an angel and sent me, sent me care packages throughout, uh, this, the two weeks of different things I could, could take for decongestion and, and dealing with my cough and dealing with my headaches, which helped. Uh, but you know, again, I have to wonder, I think that every symptom was exacerbated by the fact that all I was doing was reading the news. Sure, and yeah. like, so I think I wasn't doing a ton to medically alleviate any of the symptoms. I also kind of get nervous, especially with this. I was like, I don't want to medicate in case I miss the turning point, the inflection point of when these become more serious. If I'm like medicating through that and there's something that I miss that would be serious without medication, like I want to feel that. So I know that it's time to go to the hospital. Sure. (sighs) Wild. Um, all right. So then you start feeling better, uh, recovering and and you're chugging, chugging along. Um, and thankful to be, I guess, among more, more, you know, those more, more mild cases. Uh, when did you first, when were you first uh, informed by uh, a doctor or, or a scientist or just realized that that you could uh, contribute to, to the new trials and, and tests in a, in a wider way? Yeah. So I think not that there are favorite things I have about getting coronavirus with a big group of people, <laughs> but I've been, I've been um, really just moved by how, you know, we all went through this everyone had different experiences. I think collectively we all were terrified and anxious. Some people had much more severe physical symptoms, but each one of us has really been mobilized to try to take advantage of the fact that we're in the research triangle in North Carolina and what can we do to help, to help advance the study of this virus. And so, uh, because we were some of the first confirmed cases of coronavirus in Durham, people in the group started um, getting reached out to by like Duke University is has a group that's helping work on um, developing a vaccine and doing research for the vaccine. They're also doing a lot of research on when and how you develop antibodies and what does immunity look like for this virus. And then you have companies like LabCorp who are trying to develop Uh, more rapid at-home testing capabilities and push that out as quickly as possible. And so 
I have a lot of classmates and friends who are working for a lot of these companies or have contacts contacts at these um, companies or are in the healthcare world in some way and for just like blasted all of us with emails asking if we wanted to participate and overwhelmingly everyone said yes. So the one bright light of, of those two weeks is that I had people coming in and out of my apartment, taking my blood, doing, um, I don't know if you guys have, have gotten the flu test before, but for coronavirus, it's pretty similar. They insert a really long swab all the way back through your nose. Um, and so we're, was getting nice. those. Yes. It, it, um, super pleasant, but I actually mm-hmm. became, I became quite used to it. Um, and Wait. I don't Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, I have seen the picture and I've had that flu thing. It's, I mean, it's unreal. First of all, uh-huh. you discover some anatomy things about yourself and I guess just the body yes. because you're like, I guess I always knew those things were connected and there was a way to get back there, but holy oh, shit, yeah. I didn't realize A, it was mm-hmm. possible. B, I've never had it done. And C, how far back it goes. Uh, yeah. Someone had been passing around an image online of from like a nurse who was just like, fine, you won't listen to facts. Look at this diagram of like what we have to do to get the test. And it was like, oh my God, if anything's going to convince people to not go outside, it's yes. that shit. <laughs> totally. Well, I remember thinking when I got it done, um, so I actually got it done in a drive through after once I had developed a cough and so many people on my who I was traveling with had come back positive. I finally was able to get a test done through um, like a drive-in, a drive-through clinic. And they did it to me with my window, like rolled a little bit down. And I remember having these flashbacks to like sixth grade history class when we learned that Egyptians used to, with corpses, they used to stick like something up, like a hook up your nose and latch it onto your brain and pull your brain out through your nose. And I don't know oh if that's my. right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember learning that. Okay, yeah. So that's what I was, that's what I was, <laughs> I was like, I guess this makes sense if my memory of sixth grade history is is accurate, that this is like, that they can touch my brain with this incredibly long cotton mm-hmm. swab. So that's mm-hmm. what I thought about. Yeah. I was like, do as the Egyptians do and sure. test me for coronavirus. But they, anyway, they would come in and, and do those tests pretty routinely throughout the two weeks, come in and, and take my blood. This one company that was developing the at-home testing kits would send me the kits and I would do them myself and send them back to them. And um, so they could test to see, knowing that I was positive, test to see if they were, if they were accurate and how they could improve them. And so, mm. um, you know, in the face of, of all of this uncertainty and, um, uh, you know, obviously a lot of us were, were really scared and, and have been largely physically alone throughout all of this. I just, it was great to be in a community that was so, um, so ready and anxious also to help, help out with whatever they could. And, and that's been a silver lining if there is one, um, in all of this. For sure. I mean, again, yeah, it does incredible. seem, you know, in, in a, I mean, you're obviously, you know, lucky in, in so many ways. You're, you're, you know, you're a healthy, like you said, uh, you know, youngish, uh, white, white lady who, who doesn't live in a place with t- terrible pollution, who we now know is like totally exacerbates the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got it, uh, you right. know, you know, your head was going to explode, but, uh, again, you, you didn't get that 
that um, iconic shortness of breath that we now know leads to to so right. many worse things. And you were at fucking Duke. You know, there there's there's worse places, but like you said, that there there is a silver lining there. So, um, uh, the the most near term, like. I guess achievement, you know, first goal that the folks seem both the public and um, it's amazing how everyone turns into like a quasi scientist very quickly, yes. um, which is fine for learning. <laughs> totally. Like as long as you're not like spreading misinformation, of course. Um, right. But right. both 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 regular folks and and survivors and also scientists are focusing on is these blood plasma transfusions from survivals. And, and again, April 9th, uh, there have been some small experimental trials in New York and China on some very high risk folks uh, that it's kind of like, why, if they'll agree to it, like, what, why not? They, we don't have any other way to help these folks. And they actually seem to be working. The problem is it might not be very scalable because as far as I've understood, it's basically one to one. Unless we find a way to get the, a, a much larger percentage of, of survivors to, to donate. But uh, on the other hand, I mean, because this thing is so contagious, we mm -hmm. can assume that many more will get it. And then in turn can, if we can find a way to, to systematize this can hopefully protect others in a, in a pretty specific uh, way. You know, I mean, there's already estimated to be baseline globally. I, th I think the official estimates, I'm like, as of today, like 350,000 survivors, so the real number, again, once you consider the asymptomatic folks or the folks who just thought they had a bad cough or whatever, is probably multiples of that, four, five, six, seven times. Have you had any interaction with that specific type of testing or trials or insight to what's going on with that stuff? Yeah, they've. Um, I haven't begun anything, but we've had people reach out to us, and I've also, you know, signed up for any and everything um, to donate my plasma or be a part of um, any type of study. And I think a lot of my, my classmates have as well. I mean, I think something that's great to hear every single time I'm either reached out to um, and then respond or I reach out to someone about being involved in something is that they always respond and say that they're trying to respond to everyone. They've gotten a lot of interest and will get back to me when they can. And uh, on the one hand, I have nothing to do. And so I'm very anxious to help out and, and I want to help out sooner rather than later. But I also have been really encouraged that they have gotten such an overwhelming response of people who want to contribute and, and want to participate. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's going to be key, right? Yeah. I mean, we're not going to get a hundred percent, but it's people looking around going, going, it's the old Mr. Rogers thing. Like, look for the helpers. Like if you've had this, like just, just reach out. Um, you know, again, we've encouraged all of our listeners and stuff. I've gotten so many emails from folks. Um, we put this in one thing and I've gotten so many emails from folks who've not had it that want to volunteer to get a, to test a vaccine, which is wild. Um, mm -hmm. and is such like a baller thing to stand up to do. Um, but if you've already had it and, and you're doing okay and you're not still on a ventilator, um, or, you know, if you're able in some way, again, because you're not, we don't think so far that you're going to get it again. Like that's the thing with these antibody tests, for example, right? right? We don't, as far as we can tell, you know, the UK ordered millions of them and said Amazon's can deliver them before they realized they were like 60% effective, which is not helpful. Um, right. And also we just don't know, you know, you can't rule these things out before we actually know the, the, the second level answer, which is yes, you've had it. 
which theoretically means you can go back out into the workforce or go volunteer at a hospital or whatever. Um, but we, we, we actually still don't know how immune you are and how long that immunity lasts. And so if you just roll out these tests, even if it was 100% effective, right, which it's not, uh, right. that say 100% effective, you had it, you can go back out. We have no idea, uh, you know, if you can get sick again. And if not, how long that'll last. It, it, could, it could literally be months or a year or a lifetime. And, and it could be anywhere in that range. We don't know yet. And that's just time and testing. So it's almost like as much as people are dying to have this antibody test, we can reopen the economy. It's like it could do way more harm than good to have totally. it out there. But these blood transfusions that, again, we've done in past things and are fairly proven, they do seem to be working, even though it's not super scalable yet, just because we haven't, like everything else, built a system for it. If we can get people to, like you said, that seem to have been, at least in your community, you know, to stand up and say, like, yeah, I'll do whatever, then that can make a huge difference. If there's 350,000 plus official survivors out there, so let's just call it a million, you know, if even 50% of those people can can contribute. I mean, that's just a massive change. You know, that's not going to take down those transfusions again are going to be prioritized towards the sickest uh, who need it. So if you've got like a mild uh, cough and a headache at home, like you're not going to get one. Um, right. But the number of people, especially again, we have 77 million boomers in this country who, who and, and a huge percentage of those, I'm not sure the official number, huge percentage have either and or a pre-existing respiratory or cardiovascular thing of some way and is just asking for it, essentially. Um, you know, those are the people that would be that would be first in line for this thing. And that's what helps bring this mortality rate way down, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that would be... And that would be massive if we can really get that stuff out there. But again, we've just... God, God man, we've got so far to go. I know. I know. I think most days I'm... I am so disheartened about everything, but I think watching the, I mean, just realizing how I find myself looking out now for headlines about progress that we've make that we've been making, uh, with, you know, any study, whether it's about immunity or about, uh, developing a vaccine the progress is just unprecedented and remarkable. And to think about how many brilliant people in the world right now are working on this, I think brings me a little bit of comfort, especially when I feel like the headlines just keep getting worse and worse and the numbers obviously keep getting higher. You know, I'm confident that good news will come soon, whether, I mean, I, I, I share in your worry and concern, though, that I think that people are so desperate for a return to no normalcy that I worry that if, you know, things are restrictions are lifted a little bit or we paint too much of an optimistic picture that people are just going to jump right back into their regular routines too quickly. And knowing now how every single person I was traveling with got this, you know, no one was it is so, so, so contagious. And I, I really do worry that we will get so excited about any potential return to our normal routine that we could make this much worse. So that's obviously a major concern too. Yeah. And I mean, it's like the first disclaimer and I've, you know, we talk so much about climate change and I've, you know, Brian, and I've made this our jobs for the past few years. Uh, but I, 
so it's always fun to be the downer in basically any conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah. When people are like, Sunday day, I'm like, oh, here come the fires. Um, but it's it's really fun. It's great. My wife loves it. Uh, but with this thing, when, you know, when, especially out here, you know, or what New York did at the beginning, it's like how everyone just stayed out and hung out and went to bars. And, uh, you know, so everyone's like, we're flattening the curve. So everything's going to open back up. I'm like, no, 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 no. Right. That's, like the flattening of the curve is great. Yes, check. We've done that. However, it is the only thing we have to do. And it it hasn't it hasn't stopped. What has happened is we've given it nowhere to go. That was the goal, right? Um, but if you go back out, nothing has changed and now it has places to go again. Because we still have no no one has any built-in immunity to this. Uh, and it'll right. just start raging again. We, you you have to you have to stay in. Until mm-hmm. we get into a you know much higher percentage of either people don't have it or people do have it, and we can do it in fits and starts or, or whatever it might be, but things aren't changing for well, and it's hard to be that bummer and hard to tell people to like this is your new reality. Um, mm-hmm. Just because it's working doesn't mean we we just flip the switch and turn it back on, no matter what that dipshit tells everybody, which is right. anyways <laughs> so dangerous. Uh huh. I know. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> I I think that it does so much of the anxiety is around the uncertainty, especially in regards to a timeline and people just want to plan things and have something to look forward to. And I think even if that timeline is 12 months from now or 18 months from now or whatever it may be, I think that that brings a lot of comfort. Um, because, you know, I have friends obviously who are, have weddings and, uh, you know, other major life events in the next five to six months. And I think just every day knowing that it, you know, the outcome could be entirely different depending on what happens in the next 12 hours, the next, uh, two months is, is, uh, anxiety inducing for sure. But I, I'm hopeful, but I, I think I'm, I'm also more realistic now. Well, that's the goal, time. right? Time we need to stay tell. hopeful, but we really need to stay realistic. Uh, Allie, we always want to bring uh, everything we talk about, you know, back back to justice. And there's there's so many people of color suffering worse than than others because of, you know, decades of air pollution and a, a lack of health care or uh, just the inability to to take time off from work. Um, a lot of us can like myself, stay home and Netflix uh, uh, or adopt, you know, rescue puppies and stuff. But a lot of us can't. And do, do you feel like what you went through and, and all of the testing that you're, that you're undergoing and everything can, can benefit those folks? You know, I think truthfully in the first 10 days of this was very self-absorbed thinking about my own situation and, you know, the loss of my graduation and last term of school. And, you know, I was concerned about my family, of course, um, but was really inside my own bubble in terms of how I was thinking about this. And then I think in that second week, once I stepped out of it and, and my symptoms were alleviated, you know, I spent my career working with nonprofit organizations in Denver. Um, most of whom work in healthcare and the my most recent position before school was um, with uh, CASA, which is a national organization and they train advocates 
to uh, advocating court for children who've been abused and neglected and are currently in the foster system. And I just kind of like stepping out of that bubble being, I saw a picture of people in Nevada who uh, had been evacuated from a homeless shelter who were sleeping, putting, they put them in a parking lot and parking spaces six feet away from each other on Um, that. And that's that picture just kind of like, I snapped out of it and not only realized how lucky I was to be able to get on a flight out of a country and to get back here that I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't trapped anywhere that I had even the option to go home. I didn't take it, that I had an apartment. Um, and I obviously am on student loans right now, but I, I am not worried about rent payments and um, have parents that can help me. And I'm not locked or trapped right now in a home situation that is, is, is violent or dangerous. And yeah. um, I think that that picture helped me realize. And I just feel like every day you're hearing more about how terrible this virus is going to be for communities that are are underserved, have uh, lack of access to adequate health care and even information. The lack of access to information is huge. And about how domestic violence is, like cases of domestic violence are on the rise. And um, I think it's so important to hear about, you know, other people getting over this and what you can do to contribute medically and to advancing research, the research of the coronavirus. But I, I really do hope that a conversation that happens alongside of what can we do, you know, if we face a pandemic again, is these massive structural issues in our country and in our world that will result result right now in these communities being like totally decimated by this virus. And I think that I'm very lucky across the board in terms of my experience with coronavirus. And I don't think a lot of people will be. And um, I just, I think I always worry that after, after events like this, even though it is crippling and paralyzing our world for such a long time, that people talk a lot about what they will do to change and address these major underlying issues afterwards, but then quickly forget. Like once your life returns to normal, then you become like much more self-concerned and and self-absorbed again. And I hope that we, as we watch this, just tear apart um, developing countries and, and rural communities within our own country that we um, that we keep that in mind moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and the point about the rural communities, I think, is so timely because, you know, we always knew there's this huge issue, right, in, in, these, in the cities, which is uh, condensing people is one of the best things we can do for the environment and, and has also just been the trend the past 15 years. Um, okay you know, because it cuts down on transportation needs and, and all this stuff. Um, but it's also what exacerbates something like this, right? All of a sudden you're like, oh, well, that's just, that that melting pot is a is a nightmare for this, right? It's uh, it's quite like a nuke hitting the bottom, uh, hitting, you know, Central Park and just spreading outwards. You have so many people in close contact, which is why, you know, China ha- has such an insane time with it. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you see these rural communities who are otherwise 
probably thought, understandably, you know, we're we're quite separated from this. People are so far apart. But then you read, you know, oh, well, but the only hospital in this county closed five years ago. You got to drive totally. 40, 40 minutes to go to a hospital. You know, while New York is understandably and, and everywhere else, I mean, Chicago, you read about Cook County Jail, like this stuff is, is a nightmare and, and their beds are always 85% full. And as it is, these places don't have hospitals, right. you know, which is, which is incredible. And that's because of our system our, and, and how they don't make money off of them and all this, but it just goes like, oh, those are just going to disappear. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. And it does mean that like, we have to do, we have to rebuild the entire thing. Because yeah. this kind of thing is going to happen again. You know, it's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was re- reading about the states that still haven't implemented stay-at-home um, or shelter-in-place orders. And how, I mean, you can, if no one in your town or county or city has been diagnosed with coronavirus, it can, I mean, it's, you can compare it to how the United States felt when China and Japan and Italy were experiencing this. I mean, We were ignoring it because there were no reported cases in the United States and we just felt really invincible against this. And I think, you know, at so many different points throughout this, we have seen that arrogance just totally squashed by this virus that you really cannot contain. And so it's surprising to me in some ways to see states still, you know, still believe and say publicly that they don't believe that the virus will reach them and will affect them. And then that same news article, news article I was reading that the majority of these communities have to like by carrier ship in that if someone has it, it takes days to get the test to them because it's being shipped in from wherever. And then to, they can't even process the test coronavirus test there. They, it has to go, you know, hundreds of miles away in order to be tested. And to think of with Duke University right here for me, how difficult it was for me to get a test. I mean, they processed it right there and it still took six days to get my results. I mean, thinking about the barriers they face to proper testing, it's extraordinary. And it, it is really terrifying to think about just the havoc that it'll wreak on, on these communities. It's going to be a hell of a month. A hell of a month. Brian, pivot uh, us towards some action. This is exactly uh, where we where we try to, you know, move from like, well, that would otherwise be a sad note to end on. Yeah, now what? Right, Fuck right. it, I'm going to go just let go of my steering wheel, close my eyes and see what happens. <laughs> no. Yes, perfect. Um, yeah, Ali, like I said at the beginning of, of all of this, uh, you know, our, our goal is to really get some some action steps uh, that our listeners can take to... to um, support you know what you've what you've learned so far about all of this and what we can do to 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 help everybody else uh, uh figure this shit out one the most important one i think is is how we can all help with our voice uh you you know like you said uh, uh before about just just sometimes just information not being available um you know at, as a as a people what should we be asking what questions specific actionable big questions should we be asking of of our representatives in regards to this? I mean, the first thing I think I would ask them and everyone is to stop using, like, how much more devastating does this disease have to become for you to realize that this isn't an opportunity to, like, advance 
really stupid, non-consequential political stuff that you you want to do. I mean, I, I think that first and foremost, I would ask politicians everywhere to stop trying to advance your own platform or the platform of you know the people who are funding you and funding your campaign and take a broader look at how the politics that you have put forth have resulted in this pandemic becoming so out of control as it has. And I think in North Carolina specifically, you've seen, yeah, I mean, the research triangle, I love North Carolina, is incredible. Like being close to Duke and UNC, I feel so lucky. But as you said, there are so many underserved and not served at all communities in North Carolina. And I think I first would ask, I think a first question, you know, beyond pausing these, uh, you know, fruitless political, uh, you know, like political actions that they've been taking, you know, reading about all the the stuff nationally with abortion access has been really upsetting. Um, and I just feel like so misguided and misfocused and obviously is a huge waste of money. Um, but then I think a really important question is to evaluate healthcare access around the state of North Carolina and of course around the country. But um, I think that without something like this, it's not a question really since Obamacare um, that we have had to ask and answer what does healthcare access look like for underserved communities and how do we get healthcare access to those people? And healthcare access is not just like a doctor who can provide you a checkup, but in the case of this, where these, you know, advanced testing procedures have to reach people who are really underserved. And if they got it would be in need of things like ventilators, like how, what is our healthcare access look and how do we improve access for those communities? And I think there just needs to be a larger lifeline that runs throughout these cities and, and states where access to information is as available as access to healthcare. I guess that's less of a question, more of me like preaching to them, but they should listen to me because yeah, they need that too. I'm a genius. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that for sure. No, no, I think that's applicable. I mean, look, even when we talk about climate or clean energy or 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 a, a number of things, like you said, it, it's easy default. Like we need universal healthcare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of 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 course, sure. But uh, you know, the reason I wanted to specifically put it to like you, which is in Duke, which is surrounded by all this rural area in a place where for the past ten years of politics have been a fucking nightmare, mm-hmm. um, and they've done nothing to help people. Uh, that's where you can really have the most specific impact, you know? Yeah. So if you if you do live in North Carolina or you live in one of these states where there's such uh, a disparity between um, between the cities or the research triangles and and the rest of the state, um, you know, you look at you look at New York State and everyone's, you know, focused on New York City, but the first real outbreak was actually north of New York City because it was the people who traveled up there and, and the complications okay. of that, and then it spreads. And the rest of that state is is very rural and right. and and has some serious issues with with healthcare capacity. Um, yeah. I, you know, one of my one of my best friends on the planet works um at a research hospital in, in Roanoke, Virginia. And it's really great. Um, and they didn't really uh, see this coming because again, 
not of uh, the leading signals from the federal uh, infrastructure in America didn't lend them to to appreciate that. And now they're looking at this going like, okay, well, our hospital specifically treats, you know, like overweight Southwestern Virginians who smoke a lot and have heart problems. Like, what yeah. does that mean in this? It means you're fucked. So it's like, that that's where you go to local action and go like, oh my God, what are we going to do here? Right. And that's like, what can you do? Like, yes, of course we need all this federal stuff, but what can you do right now? Because this is our unique issue that we are going to deal with starting like tomorrow morning. Um, and that's where we have to hold those people to the fire. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, wherever you live, obviously I live somewhere with pretty direct access to a several major institutions, both being universities and hospitals. And I think, you know, they're doing everything that they can right now, but it's, it's all reactive. And I think that it's really up to us again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, like we have to be proactive moving forward. We've seen what a reactive response to this looks like, and it's a nightmare. And I think not only being proactive in terms of having these conversations individually as people and as individual institutions, but I think that what we've realized is how important open lines of communications are like between universities, hospitals, governments, local healthcare providers within a state, within a region, but also all over the world. I mean, if we had a coordinated response everywhere to something like this happening, how different this all would have looked. So I think sure. making sure that these conversations, you know, regardless, I'm going to work for, uh, hopefully, if my, if I'm not, I don't, I don't think, I think I'll still have a job. I'm going to work for a huge company next year and that could have a huge hand in a coordinated response to something like this happening and about facilitating those conversations around the world. And um, I think I'm hoping that everyone feels that once things become normal again, whenever that is, that we, and I think we will, this is, I think so profound and and is going to continue to affect everyone that I think that we will make sure that these conversations remain, um, you know, at the forefront of our, of our minds and our attention. That's the hope, right? That's yeah. it. it's almost like when Trump got elected, like all of these, and we've talked about before, like I won't say all of them, but most of these amazing grassroots organizations swing left, run for something, um, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Emily's list has been around for 25 years, et cetera. But so many of these new ones that are, are incredibly effective and data-driven and hungry and angry just wouldn't exist. And that's right. not to say like, yep. good thing he got elected. Fuck that. But hopefully we respond in a similar way, you know, hopefully. with the drive yeah. that turned over the house in 2018, et cetera, et cetera. And we're really operating with one hand tied behind our back because no one can leave their fucking house. Um, so that makes organizing and all these things we come to depend on in this big push for 2020 that everybody had been excited about and had made plans Mm -hmm. for and raised funds for, we're planning on raising funds for, uh, it's going to be very different, but, but hopefully we can find a way to do that and we can match the fervor that these scientists are using, you know, hopefully we can all do our import to do that. But that's why we try to focus, you know, again, our listeners, we have a ton of scientists, we have tons of legislators and and, and uh, you know, congressional aides and all these people who listen to this, but most of our listeners are just regular angry people like us who are fucking pissed off. And so that's why we focus on like, look, we know 
you're probably not a scientist or an engineer or a doctor or a politician. Like these are the specific things that you can do to get out there and, and shake shit up because we, we very clearly need to. And again, it might be coming to your hometown like tomorrow. It's probably already here and you just right. don't know it yet. And you need to say to people, what are you doing? What is your plan? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, that's, that's what we got. So thank you for your, your perspective on that. Oh my gosh. <sighs> thank you guys for having me. You're this welcome. So um, we have a last We're couple. We're almost done. We're almost, almost done. We, we okay. have a, don't call it a lightning round, lightning round. Final questions, Allie, mm-hmm. um, if you could. And then we'll let you get out of here and back to whatever a recovered person does now that they're home hanging out at, um, at graduate school without my three kids. Drink alone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I still, uh, I drink, <laughs> but just not alone. I just drink around my children. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Allie, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? I think I was uh, an Obama grassroots fellow with Casey, your brother, Mm -hmm. um, the summer after my junior year of high school. And at first I was in Northern Virginia. And um, at first I would go out and, and register my five voters for the day. And then I would usually go get a manicure. And then I ended up, um, <laughs> so I wasn't taking it <laughs> seriously. And I ended up having a, a great conversation one time with a voter. I was registering who was wavering between Obama and McCain. And she was listening. I, mean, I was 17 years old and she was listening to me and she was so, um, she cared so much about what I had to say and was listening to my perspective. And I was like, Oh my gosh, if like I have the ability as a pretty uninformed, um, you know, sometimes ignorant 17 year old, if I have the ability to change someone's perspective or even get them to think about something in a different way, um, this, you know, what else could I do if I actually cared to become way more informed and, uh, you know, use, have developed more tools in my arsenal. So totally changed, uh, the rest of my summer working for them. And, uh, it's just only continued and continued from there. Your nails now are shit, but everything else is better. (laughs) Yeah, no, no longer. I do. I think that's the sign of someone who affects social change, really bad, (laughs) brittle nails. Mine are just gnawed off. Um, I, I don't know. know if that's because of affecting social change or just stress <laughs> no. and anxiety, but they don't Separate exist issue. anymore. Um, Brian, you've stopped biting them on air. That's a real win for everybody. Get, go, just ask her the next question. I'm sorry. Uh, Allie, who is, um, who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? Mm-hmm. I think that um, I would say... My older sister, Emily, who you obviously know. She, we share a birthday. Yes. Um, with, who, who do you share with? I think you share with like Leonardo DiCaprio or something. I remember her rubbing it oh. in my face when I was oh, little. Yeah. I don't, maybe Leo, <laughs> but also, um, um, oh God, um, uh, Ashton Kutcher's wife, which is horrible. What was her pr- ex-wife? Mila. No, oh, no, pre- previous Demi wife. Moore. Demi Moore. Yes. Yes. Demi Moore. Ghost. Oh yeah, man. Demi Moore. I remember that one. I had a poster Uh, growing up in my room that was like uh, birthdays from each day. And I remember Demi Moore. I mean, this was like the nineties. I was like, yes. Totally. Well, I remember Emily telling me, I think it's Leo, someone, she rubbed it in because 
mine, we had a calendar like that too. And mine was Tara Reed. And I remember being like, are you kidding me? And Emily had this like, you know, I felt like such a loser. But Wait, aren't anyways, you like three days before us? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm November 8th. I mean, we'll adopt. We'll take it. Okay, good. So she, I mean, my sister's amazing. Quinn, you obviously know. Um, but she went to business school a few years before I did. And I think we had totally different experiences. We're doing different work before and are going into totally different work afterwards. But she, we had a conversation over winter break about not her regrets about the experiences, but things that she wished she came, that she had taken away from her business school experience and things she wished she had done more intentionally and taken advantage of the unique opportunities a full-time graduate program presents to you. And that totally changed my mindset going into my classes um, this past spring. I mean, the time I did have on campus, I thought I took more advantage of having really impressive faculty in such close proximity to me. Obviously, the the larger Duke presence was, um, I felt like I took more advantage of that. And I think Emily is, is great always at inspiring me to be much more proactive about immersing myself in in my surroundings and making sure I come out of it with minimal to no regrets. Emily's great. Emily is, I mean, inadvertently is the, like the whole reason I got into like trying to do social change shit when, when she had her, uh, when she got diagnosed with cancer so many years ago, uh, Mm -hmm. I was just like, I am not a scientist. I couldn't remember flashcards for if my life depended on it. I barely know anatomy, um, uh-huh. but I can I can sweat, and so I'm gonna do something, some sort of stupid race and raise a bunch of money because like we have to help people that are sick, and it's like that is what got this thing started. And she's okay now, and she's the best. So yes, no, I mean that's um, she's great as she's great at inspiring everyone around her, and as are you, of course. Well, easy. Easy. Um, okay. Okay, Brian. <laughs> it was it was nice first. Yeah. Oh, that's so Brian. sweet. That's so nice. Thank you. So All right, much. Brian, bring it home. Come on, let's get her out of here. She's got uh, Netflixing to do. First of all, I share I share I share a birthday with Matt Damon. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, okay. Oh wait, that's with Jason Bourne. Yeah, no big deal. <sighs> <laughs> um. Hey, Allie, this is a this is I think the first time we're going to ask this question. Um. Since w- none of us can do anything outside of our homes, but maybe you could answer it normally. And now that we're all locked inside. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed? This is then. Then Quinn comes in and says, "What is your self care?" Mm-hmm. So, I think that a lot of your listeners might disagree with this as a normal method of self care, but oh, okay. I love to. I love to go out and and drink with my friends, and in a normal circumstance, Super into you know, it. I, I mean, I love, I love alcohol, pretty much all types, but I also love, (laughs) I love being at like, I love just being at a bar and surrounded by my friends and catching up with them and hearing about their lives. And then maybe like dancing a little, but not dancing, like club dancing. Like I'm the only one dancing. Like I just, that, that always brings me a lot of peace and, and centers me. Um, but now, obviously, things have changed, and um, I 
have been doing a lot more like classic meditation. I downloaded the Calm app and I every That's night I it. listen to Stephen Fry talk to me about lavender fields and it's really <laughs> nice. Yeah, my anxieties looked different since all of this started and I think I'm realizing that I need to you know, build my, my toolbox of stuff to combat anxiety. And, um, obviously I joined TikTok too, and I'm learning TikTok dances. So that's, I still have no idea what, what that is. That feels pretty important. We'll post one on our, uh, can you post them? Can I get a, can you do a link to those? I don't know. Everything works anymore. Uh, You you can Can do a link. You can totally do a link. Um, (laughs) I, I have like 19 followers, so I'm about to blow up. Yep, Hell about yeah. to blow up. Hey, I just want to do one uh, quick follow-up before Brian gets to his favorite <laughs> question. Uh, November 8th birthdays, you have shortchanged yourself. Um, uh, Parker Posey, uh, amazing. That's um, all um, Yeah, Parker Posey. Hold on, wait for it. Bonnie fucking Raitt, uh, who is wow. basically just a, a hero. Um, I can't make you love me. I mean, brings me to tears every time. Uh, She's I so mean, good. Who knows if this is accurate, but Bram Stoker? Uh, wrote a little I book. Give you something to talk yeah. About. yeah, that was not Bonnie Raitt. That not was Bonnie Raitt. Yeah. Bram Stoker that, was, was Dracula. Beautiful. Yeah, no, yep. I, sorry, I was one behind. Um, and then hold on, uh, Gordon Ramsay. I mean, uh, oh my god, take it or leave it. Wow. And and I've never known how to say this. SZA, S Z A. Yep, SZA, yeah. and she's wonderful. Wow, SZA. So that's a pretty good list. That is a great list. I mean, granted, I'm like the most famous person on that list mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in By terms of November 8th birthdays. Um, but I think that I had some like J14 printout magazine of celebrity birthdays, which is, I think, why they didn't include Bonnie Raitt on there. It was like a mm. preteen uh, <laughs> magazine. But right, right, right. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely write to them and let them know that they ruined several years of my life by telling me that the most famous person I shared my birthday with, with was Tara Reid. Yeah, sure, that, sure, is, sure. that is no yeah. good. I mean, you That's know, I'm sure one. she's a sweet, sweet little angel. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Sweetheart. Sweetheart. Um, uh, all right, Brian, bring it home. First of all, I just want to say I love that one of your self-care uh, routines is to be out with friends drinking. I think that that gets overlooked uh, sometimes, and there's some negative uh, connotation to that, but it's not. Some people feed off of of being around others and having a great time, and I just love it, and I agree. Thank you. And now... For our favorite question, if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what book would it be? Uh, wow. That is a... Hmm. Mm-hmm. Take your time. <laughs> We've gotten everything from coloring books to the constitutions. Usual stipulations apply. Could just be pictures. Someone could read it to him, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, I like... I mean, my inclination first is to do something insulting. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Understood. But I don't Take know. Your time. I will. This is it. You de- definitely did have some insulting ones in the past, so you wouldn't be alone. I love that someone said the Constitution. Yeah, that was a good mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this is probably, and you can edit this out if it's not a good answer. I mean, you can edit. Truthfully, you don't even have to post this episode if it's not good. So, um, just throw this, this episode just, in the trash. This is just so fun. So even if this is all made up, it was honestly the best part of my thing <laughs> so far. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I probably would send you know, him 
uh, Pride and Prejudice. Not only because Ooh. it's one of my favorite books, but I feel like there are a lot of important lessons in there about, you know, female empowerment. And I enjoy reading it both for fun and critically. And I think that although I am nervous, he'd have some trouble getting through the book. I hope that he would emerge from it as much of a fan of Elizabeth Bennett as I am. And mm-hmm. maybe his admiration for her would spur some, some positive change re women in this country. It's a tall ask, but, (laughs) but I do, uh, I I do share your enthusiasm for, for wonderful book and some wonderful movie adaptations Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. No, but I feel like, man, like give me a day. I could come up with such a better answer to that question, but that's, I think the best. um, Okay, good. I just want to make you guys proud. Uh, you shouldn't live your life by that threshold, um, by any stretch. I've been trying like to I've been make you that Quinn proud two. for years, and I've got to just fail and fail and fail. It's going, it's going great. <laughs> it's okay. I built this entire business not to defeat climate change or to to fix right. the antibiotic uh, issue, but just so that Brian had to hang out with me. I pay him. To hang out with me, so <laughs> everything's great. That's, that is a fantastic <laughs> business idea, and mm-hmm. I feel like I would do that to so many of my friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, listen, um, uh, Ali can't thank you enough for spending the time for jumping on, uh, this for volunteering to get coronavirus just to come on our podcast. Um, all that very, was really nice. very, very <laughs> generous of you. Would you like to share where our listeners can follow you online? Can they follow you online? Um, feel free to say, fuck that. Um, my online presence is, uh, is not huge. Obviously, as I said before, I do have a TikTok account. Um, yeah, almost 20 followers, if I remember correctly. Yep. Almost that 20th follower could be you. So <laughs> you'll have to find me on that. Um, I do have a, I do have a, a Twitter account. Allie B. Bross is my Twitter handle. Did you just have to look it up? You just have to look it up. Just go mm-hmm. find me. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I I'm saying, did you just have did to go you, look yeah. that up? I did. Yep. Okay. Um, Just checking. <laughs> I'm an avid Twitter user. Sure, um, sure. Actually, my more more exciting Twitter handle is the one I use to tweet at Survivor contestants. It's Raisins Raisins is the handle. Um, so go for that. Um, otherwise, just keep me in your memory. My online presence isn't significant, but I hope you take everything I said today with you and when I do blow up and become famous, then you can follow me on everything. <sighs> this was everything I'd hoped it would be. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Allie, thank you. Uh, glad you're feeling better. Um, thank you. I don't know, man. Hopefully see you at Thanksgiving. I, I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? What's, does it exist anymore? I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, we'll, good question. we'll make it work. We can't keep your dad away from cheese shop, so we'll figure something out. I bet I bet he's been down there already. Hundred like just just throwing caution to the wind. Yeah. <laughs> totally. They're not even open. Uh, awesome. This has been amazing. Okay. Um, thank you so much. Raisins, raisins. Uh, raisins, raisins. Uh, fantastic. Allie, have a great rest of the week. Thank you and, so much uh, for being yeah. here, Allie. Thank you. Uh, You're the best. Thank we you, love guys. You. This is so great. Um, right. Stay safe and healthy, everybody. But especially um, you too. <laughs> we will <laughs> we will you. do our damn best.
Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.